0: to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. In verse 29, that's my prayer, guys. Should nothing of our effort stand, no legacy survive, unless the the Lord does raise the house, in vain the builders strive. Don't we want to see God build His church here? Amen? Amen. Such a great song. I've been praying for you and for me over the past few days that uh, we sang the verse, Let living water satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness yet. All glory be to Christ. That's what I've been praying, that we'd be satisfied in Jesus. Uh, Grab your Bible again. Luke. Chapter 21, verse 29. Are you there? Amen? I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible. Now, I'm also going to ask that you wake up today. All right? It's a little gloomy out there. uh, And I could see that or hear a little bit in the song that we were struggling a little bit this morning. So I need you to wake up. Are you out there? Amen. Amen? All right. Sounded a little better there. We're working on it. Lord, help us. All right. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's pray. Father, speak. And like Samuel prayed, your servant is listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so where are we? Let's look at the context for just a second. We're looking at the book of Luke, and we have, Jesus is on his journey to the cross. And on the journey to the cross, he has made it for the last and final time to Jerusalem. He's made it to Jerusalem, he is there in Jerusalem, and he is in and out of the temple every day. Remember when he came down on the triumphal entry down the, the Mount of Olives, he came to the temple reminding us that he was not there to kick out the Romans. He was not there to fix politics. He didn't go to the White House of Israel. He went, rather, to the church house of Israel to make sure that God's people knew that it was a spiritual problem he came to solve, not a a physical one, not a political one, that he came to fix. And So in this passage, he comes to the temple and he begins to teach. And all of the disciples are looking around and they see the beauty of the temple around them. They see how amazing it was. And in their amazement, in the middle of it, Jesus turns to them and says, You see all these things? There's going to come a day soon where not one stone will be left upon another. And then he begins to speak of the end times. And when will these things be? And what will be the sign of them? The disciples ask. And we talked about this last week. And people have been asking that question for a real long time. And don't you, like me, wish that Jesus would give a timeline of what's happening in the days ahead? Here's what you need to expect Church family, I'll be, I'll be coming back on this date at this time. Just be ready. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But if he were to do that, guess what we'd be doing up until that hour? Playing. So instead, Jesus does not give them the answer to their question. He doesn't say, I'm going to come back on this day at this time. Instead, he says, Don't be led astray. Because people are going to come in my name saying, The end is at hand, and saying, I'm he. Don't be led astray by them. Don't go after them. There's going to be a time of confusion, a time of false teachers, a time when, when, when you'll be able to find a teacher for whatever you want to hear. Like Paul says, people will be looking for their ears to be tickled, and there will be somebody to tickle them. But be careful who you listen to. And then he says, and when you see all these signs around you, I know people are saying that the end is near, but don't be led astray. The end's not here yet. There will be no denying, he says, when I come back, because the Son of Man will come with great power and glory, sitting on the clouds, riding on the clouds, into Jerusalem. There will be no mistaking my coming. Then he says, but in fact, in those times, there will be an increased persecution for those who follow me. People will be handed over By brothers and sisters and family members. And they will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. And they will do this. They will be drugged before these people. And this will be an opportunity for them to bear witness about Jesus. There will be a time of persecution. A time of difficulty. But there will also be a time of gospel. A time for the gospel to go forward. A time for us to speak. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a mouth and words that no one can contradict. In that day. He says don't be led astray. Don't be terrified. But he says by your endurance will you gain your lives. So endure. Endure Jesus says. And then we come to the passage that we're in. And look at verse 29. He told them a parable. So on the the end of all of these things that he's taught about the end times. uh, Wrapping it all up. He gives a parable. He says look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf. You see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. How many of you ever had a fig tree in your yard? Fig tree in your yard? I love figs. We used to have a fig tree in our yard in Louisiana. And one of my favorite things to do would be to walk to the tree and just sit there and gorge myself on the figs because I just love the way they tasted. And I'd sit there and I just loved watching them. I loved watching the leaves turn green. I loved watching the fruit Turned ripe and I loved the smell of the tree as a whole when it was in the backyard and I knew it was almost time summer was almost here when the fig tree turned and that's exactly the illustration that Jesus is given in this parable he's saying if you look at a fig tree you can look at the leaves and you can tell what season it is by what's going on on the tree and he says look around look around see all that's going on and know that the end is coming spring has sprung Maybe you're familiar with this man named C.S. Lewis, and maybe you're familiar with one of his most famous writings, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Have you ever read that? Have you ever seen that? Oh man, if you haven't, I know it's a kid's book, but you should go back and read it, it'll do your soul good. This is what uh, C.S. Lewis says, or Mr. Tumnus says in C.S. Lewis. Mr. Tumnus said it's... It's winter in Narnia, said Mr. Tumnus, and has been for ever so long. Always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. It's always cold, it's always dreary, it's always dark, but Christmas never comes. And finally, Aslan is on the move in the land of Narnia. And in, in the story, Aslan begins to move, and the winter begins to come to a close, And one day, the children with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver... Come on now, you guys got to go watch this movie, okay? The children are with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver running away from the white witch who's out out to get the children of Adam, right? And the, the daughters of Eve. And so they're running and they're hiding in a tunnel and they hear bells coming down the road, a sleigh coming down the road, and sure enough, it's Santa Claus. Santa Claus... Uh, comes and he, they, they find Santa Claus there, and it says this, C.S. Lewis captures it this way, He was a huge man in a bright red robe, bright as holly berries, with a hood that had fur inside it and a great white beard that fell like a foamy waterfall over his chest. Now that the children actually stood looking at him, he was so big, so glad, and so real that they all became quite still. They felt very glad, but also very solemn. I've come at last, said he. She has kept me out for a long time, but I have got in at last. Aslan is on the move. The witch's magic is weakening. And Lucy felt that deep shiver of gladness that you only get if you're being solemn and still. Do you see what C.S. Lewis is doing there? He's, this is a perfect parable for C.S. Lewis. He says, you want to know when spring has sprung? And you want to know, for the Christian, when we see the spring has sprung and summer is on its way and the leaves of the fig tree are producing and you begin to see figs on the tree, that should bring a gladness in your heart. For the Christian, the coming judgment is not a fearful thing, but the, for the Christian, the coming judgment is an exciting thing. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. Because the magic of the, of the white witch is disappearing, it's weakening. See, he pulls out this fact right out of this parable. He says, summer's already near. Verse 31, So also when you see these things taking place, know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, real fast, I just want you to be aware that we serve the God or the King of Kings who is over a kingdom. And His kingdom is, not, is already, but not yet. It's an already but not yet kingdom. And what I mean by that is the kingdom of God has already come. Jesus says, I've come to bring the kingdom. The kingdom of God God is at hand, he says. In in another place in the book of Luke, he says, the kingdom of God is among you. And then he says, the kingdom of God is coming. We serve an already but not yet kingdom. It has already been initiated but not yet consummated. And we live in the in-between time. We live in the time between the kingdom was initiated and the kingdom has been consummated, and, but we know the bridegroom is coming. He says, it's at hand. It's near. Verse 32, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Now, have you ever read that scripture and you said to yourself, what in the world does he mean by this generation? What is this generation that's not passing away? Well, there are three options for us as we consider this today. The three options are, one, it's the very generation that he's speaking to. The group of people that he's speaking to, he's saying, these people will not pass away before all this takes place. Now, can that version of this generation be true? No. It can't be true. Because, in fact, that generation did pass away before the end of time, before the end of the world, before the end of all things, before Jesus returned they died. So that's option number one. Option number two is he's speaking about the generation of the people that will be alive in the end times. So he speaks of all of the end things and he says this generation will not pass away until the end comes. That's option number two. But here's the, what I believe is the answer for us today. And I find um, some, some strength to this answer in the book of Luke. It says... Uh, in Luke chapter eleven twenty nine, 29, it says, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. So he says, This evil generation. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. There's a generation right now that we still are a part of that is an evil generation that needs a Savior and is awaiting those who are redeemed, are awaiting the coming Messiah, or the returning Messiah. He's speaking of this generation of wickedness. Jesus uses that idea of this generation is an evil generation. Let me ask you a question. Has has that evil generation ceased to exist? Are we better than they? No. Are we more holy than they? No. Are we less evil than they? Are we less in need of a Savior than they? And our answer is, of course not. So I believe that Jesus is saying this evil generation that we are a part of will not pass away before all these things take place. I love this verse. Now look at verse 33. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Listen to the beauty of this passage. Heaven and earth will pass away. He created it in six days. And he says, All that I've created will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Listen to me, church family. The words of Jesus, God's very word, is more sure and more certain than creation is. Listen, listen to me. What are you building your life on? Are, are you building your life on what you can see and what you can feel and what you can touch? Are you building your life on the very words of God? When, when you and I stand before God in judgment, guess what? You and I will not stand before Him and be held to account by the things that you can see and the things that you can feel and the things that you can touch, but we will stand before Him being judged by the very words of God. What are you building your lives upon? So there's a parable. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is a warning. A warning. Look at verse 34. He says, But watch yourselves. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Verse 35 says, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. He says, watch yourselves. Now, let's just start and walk through it little by little phrase by little phrase. Watch yourselves. In these days, it's so easy to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on all the things in the world that's wrong. Come on, somebody. Are you alive out there today? It's so much easier to point our fingers at other people who are broken. But Jesus encourages us right now, don't watch the world. In fact, if you watch the world, your heart will be depressed. He says, watch yourselves. It's not about them. In other words, you're not responsible for the them of the world. There's always a them, and they're always doing something knuckleheaded. Amen? But, he says, don't worry about them. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Keep an eye on you. Watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down. There is a, have you noticed that there is a spiritual heaviness in the world or in the time that we're living in? Have you noticed that if you keep your eyes fixated on the world, your heart can be weighed down with the burdens of the world? There's so much brokenness, so much depravity, so much sin sickness, so much going on in our world. And if we fix our eyes on what's going on in the world, our hearts will be weighed down. Are you with me? So Jesus says, don't look at the world, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves, lest you be weighed down. And then he gives three things weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And I want to look at each one of those things really briefly. Dissipation. When you think of dissipating, something dissipating, what do you think of? Come on, talk to me. I need you to wake up. Steam or it goes away. I think of steam. Do you remember the book of James where James says life is a mist or a vapor? It's like going out on a cold day. Did you go out yesterday morning when it was really cold? Did you breathe into the air and you watched your breath turn into water vapor? And then that water vapor dissipated away. That word dissipate means to break up into nothing. He says, watch yourselves... Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. Vapor dissipates. Steam dissipates. And Jesus is teaching us that we can live in such a way that our lives dissipate before us with nothing eternal to show for it because we're watching the wrong thing. Our lives can easily break up into nothing And our lives can be wasted. Our lives can simply dissipate away from us without being useful for the purpose that God has left us here. Have you noticed, have you ever looked at the days of your life and thought, I'm not that old, am I? I'm not as young as I once was. I was looking at pictures the other day and I have less hair than I once did. My children bring that to to my attention all the time. They have the spiritual gift of encouragement. (laughs) How many of you, you remember when you were 20s, in your 20s, and then how many of you remember turning 40 and going, I cannot believe that I'm 40 years old? And how many of you right now wish you were 40? I don't know why people tell you this all the time, but people will come to me and they'll say, Ryan, before you know it, Ella's going to be getting married. And I just want to punch them in the nose. I really do. Is that supposed to be encouraging? They talk, they talk to me about my children. Ryan, soon before you know it, they're all going to be out of your house. Well, wh- why would you say that? Well, the answer is because time moves quickly, doesn't it? It dissipates. And before you know it, you're like, where'd that time go? Have you been there? I've heard that the older you get, the faster it goes. Is that true? I mean, I don't know, I'm so young. (laughs) The, the, The older you get, the faster it goes. And here's what I think Jesus is warning us of. That you and I are in danger that if we fix our eyes on the wrong things, that we are in danger of watching our lives dissipate before us. And I don't know if you know it, but sooner or later, esteem does us no good. Uh, a vapor is gone. Now, now our lives can do the same thing. They can dissipate before us. Our lives can be given to dissipation, and then we have nothing to show for it. And I'm going to stand before the Lord one day to give an account as a steward of all of the days of my life. And he's going to say, well, what do you have to show for it? I mean, Now, realize that we will not stand before God in judgment for our sins because Jesus already stood before God in judgment of our sins. But we will stand before God to give an account for our work. Paul Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, Be careful how you build upon the foundation and with what you build upon it with. Because they will be tested by fire on the day of judgment. And we will all stand before God and we will give an account. And and will we say, well, I don't know what happened to all those 80, 100 years that you gave me. I don't know where they went. They just seemed to speed by and I, I just missed it. I missed my opportunities because I was so focused on the wrong things that my life dissipated before me. I want to ask you a tough question, church family. When you stand before the Lord, what will you have to show for your life? What eternal. We do lots of things that don't necessarily matter after we die. And Jesus is saying, watch yourself, lest your heart be weighed down and you give yourself to dissipation and drunkenness. Now most of us in here that's not a struggle for us. Drunkenness is probably not a struggle for us, but before you check the I don't struggle with that box, I want to make you aware of something. I don't think Jesus <clears throat> is talking about a physical drunkenness. What is Miles and I got into a conversation the other day. Miles and I have a lot of tough conversations because I'm a pastor and I experience some tough things. And I don't want to I don't want to shelter my children from the world. So he asked me the other day, why do people drink and why do they do drugs? I thought about it for a minute. I said, well, I think one reason that they do that is because life is hard. The world is difficult. And if we don't like what the world is offering us, one of the things that we can try to do is to disconnect our lives from it. And drinking or drugs can do that. For a very small time, we can disconnect from reality. We can numb or ease the pain by putting something physical into our physical bodies that eases the pain for a short while so I don't have to feel hurt or heartache or brokenness. And do you know that we can do that spiritually? Especially inside the church. We can insulate and isolate ourselves from the actual world outside of these walls that is dying and desperate for Christ. And we insulate ourselves with this spiritual drunkenness where we try to disconnect and ease the pain of life by gathering here. Rather than doing what Jesus has called us to do, which is to engage in darkness, to engage in the the unflavored world, by being light in the middle of it, or by being salt into it, by bearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus, who died to save sinners. And we can engage in this spiritual kind of drunkenness that disconnects us from the real world, that Jesus died to save. How many lost friends do you know? that's convicting for me here's why because lost people need Jesus and God's plan a is to send you to share Jesus with lost people and if I don't know lost people how in the world am I supposed to tell somebody about Jesus And what I find is I'm actually disconnected. I'm more disconnected. I'm watching the world from a distance rather than engaging the world that Jesus sent me to be a part of. He says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. And then, the cares of this life. You know, I'm realizing, I'm realizing how much time I spend and we spend on things that don't matter. Do you know everything that we're working hard for will one day be the the content of rubbish piles and landfills? All of the things that we put most of our energy and our effort in will one day rot and be destroyed. Moths will eat them. Rust will dissolve them. And he says, watch out, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. We can be so focused on the cares of this life that we focus on them, we work hard after them, and again, we have no eternal significance to show for it. Eternal things are forsaken, and they become an afterthought of our days. And, 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 and eternal things, are, they turn into this thing that we devote Sunday to eternal things. And the rest of the week is devoted to the cares of this life. And if that's not backward, I don't know what is. That's not what Jesus intended. Every day is devoted to eternal things in some way, shape, or form. The question is, what is my priority in life? Is my priority the things that are temporary? Or is my priority the things that are eternal? I love this building. It is one of God's greatest gifts to Seneca Baptist Church. But this building will not last. My house... My car, name it. It will not last. What are we devoting our time to? While forsaking what is eternal. Have you ever heard somebody say they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? Have You ever heard somebody say that? Now, I actually think that's wrong. I think, in fact, the other is more dangerous. That we can be so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. See, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The problem is that we as his church have stopped seeking first the kingdom. Why? Because we're seeking first the things of the world. Jesus says, don't you know that your father in heaven knows everything that you need and he'll answer those prayers? Don't you know before you even pray that he knows what you need and he's ready to give them? That's what a father does. He provides for His children. But Jesus says, in fact, don't be anxious for all of those things. Rather, seek first His kingdom. I think the more heavenly-minded we are, the better off for the earth we are. The more our eyes are fixed on something that is eternal, the more our eyes are fixated on a kingdom that cannot be divided or conquered or or thwarted, the more heavenly-minded we are, the more good will be to the earth around us. The problem is, we're so focused on the things of the world. And we can live like this. Dissipation, drunkenness, cares this life. In such a way that Jesus' is coming surprises us. It catches us off guard. And that's what he's saying. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with these things. And in verse 20, uh, or 34, it continues. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Ha! I didn't know it was coming. I was so focused on all these other things that I wasn't even paying attention. Jesus says, watch yourselves. Because we can live in that way and we can be unprepared for that day. We can live today's life as functional universalists. How many of you believe in heaven and hell? Okay, that's most people. But we live as functional universalists. How do I know that? When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? And I don't mean to do a drive-by shaming here. I mean to just say, listen, feel that. Feel that for a moment, that conviction that comes from God, because if we believe that there is a real, true hell, and hell is not, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go, hell's got better parties and barbecue, that's not the version of hell. Hell is an eternity under the judgment and wrath of a just God. And if I believe that's true, why in the world am I not telling somebody about Jesus? Because I'm focused on the wrong thing. What do you want when you stand before the Lord? What do you want to be able to show the Lord for your life? There's a man named Dr. John Ed Matheson. He said, life without God's vision is vision is like an octopus on roller skates. You're picturing that right now, aren't you? Lots of action, but you're not going anywhere. And life without God's vision becomes an exhausting exercise in futility, but it's our choice what we do with it. We, church, we've got to live in light of eternity today. So the encouragement, I'll, I'll try to be quick, the encouragement is found in verse 36, but stay awake. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape. See, the opposite of drunkenness is sober-mindedness. Drunkenness leads to being passed out. Stay awake, Jesus says, and pray. Stay awake at all times, praying. Have you ever noticed in the Scripture there's a connection between staying awake and praying? Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying? He tells his disciples, stay awake and pray with me one hour. And when he comes back, what are the disciples doing? Sleeping. He He wakes them up. What are you guys doing? Come on, buck up, fellas. One more hour. Pray with me. He goes away and prays. What happens? He comes back, what? Sleeping again. Jesus says, stay awake at all times, praying. Why? That you may have the strength to escape. You may have the strength to escape. I just wonder what would have happened if the disciples would have been awake praying at every one of the times that Jesus would have gotten back. What might the difference have been in their lives? Maybe they wouldn't have denied it. Maybe they all wouldn't have run from him. I don't know. What would have happened? He says, "Stay awake praying that you may have the strength. Listen to the connection. Stay awake praying for strength. Strength to escape and strength to stand." Now, I want you to remind you of some scripture in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. This is what it says, "Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might." Be strong in the strength of his might. And then at the end of the Armor of God passage, you come to verse 18. It says, Ephesians 6:18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert, stay awake, with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints and also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. He says, Pray. Pray. Stay awake praying for the strength to escape and to stand. Let me tell you, there's a passage in Revelation chapter 6 that I'm going to close with as we end our service. What does it mean to have strength to escape and stand? Let me tell you, I do not believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of God's church because of this passage. And I think a lot of history. I do not believe that there's going to be these bad times, but Jesus is going to come and rescue us before they happen. Here's why. Revelation chapter 6 uh, talks about a time of God's judgment. And this is what it says. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And who?" Can stand? Who can stand? Jesus says back there in, in Luke chapter 21 pray for the strength to stand. Who can stand? They ask. The great kings, the generals, all of these people, rich and powerful, ask, Who can stand before the wrath of God? Revelation chapter 7 answers. Verse 9 says, And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. With clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What is the basis for our strength? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is that we, by His grace, have washed our robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Who can stand before God on the day of judgment? Those who stand in the authority of Christ. The question for you and for me is have you trusted Jesus. I don't mean walk to now, pray to prayer, got baptized. I mean, have you trusted Jesus? Is He your strength? Pray. Stay awake, praying at all times that you may have the strength to escape and to stand. As we close, we're going to close a little different today. We're not going to close with a song. Rather, in fact, we're going to close with just a time of maybe response, a time of repentance, a time of confession, maybe even a time of recommitment right here and right now. And so if you would, would you stand with me? Miss Margaret, would you come and play for us? Everything's a little bit more spiritual when Miss Margaret's playing in the background. It just is. But would you bow with me and pray? Father, we see that the times, the signs of the times around us are leading us to believe that the end is nearer now than it was. And what we want to do as your church, Father, is we want to watch ourselves, not fix our eyes on the world, but we want to watch ourselves so that we're not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and and cares of this life, but rather we're awake praying be able to stand, to stand before the throne and before the Lamb and to stand before governors and kings and rulers having a word to say. Father, these end times should not be terrifying for us. These end times should be emboldening for us. You've raised us up for this day. Father, forgive us when I spend so much of my time on things that don't matter. Lord, would you cause that conviction upon us this morning? That our our lives would not dissipate away, be wasted, and sooner or later we look back and go, I have no idea what I did with my life. But may we focus and seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. May we commit ourselves to the great commandments of Jesus and the great commission to make disciples of all nations, teaching, baptizing, teaching, and teaching them to obey all our commandments. Father, would you help us? Help us to work for that which is eternal. In Jesus' name.